0: one here's the thing the rest of it wouldn't have happened if the train to amsterdam hadn't been crowded it was that kind of obnoxious crowded with everyone greedy for space everyone annoyed that the train was overbooked and jammed so i kept my head down once i had a seat and i tried not to look up i was reading the sun also rises which is a cliche of course recent college grad reading hemingway on her first trip to europe with her two friends but i didn't care I had already made Constance and Amy drink coffee and cognac at Les Deux Magots, and I had walked the left bank in Paris and sat with the pigeons alone in the Jardin de Luxembourg. I didn't want to leave Paris. I didn't want to leave its wide boulevards, the men playing bull in the tuileries, the cafes, the harsh swallows of strong coffee, the funny little horns on the scooters, the paintings and museums and the rich crepes. I didn't want to leave the early mornings when the cafe workers swept the cobblestones and rinsed down their areas with black hoses and silver water. Or the evenings either, when sometimes you smelled smoke or chestnuts, and the old men with the long fishing poles sat on their three-legged stools and threw their lines baited with maggots into the Seine. I didn't want to leave the booksellers along the river, the moldy stalls lined with old, yellowed books, the landscape painters who came and spread their oils across stretched canvas, attempting to capture what could never be captured but only hinted at, turned into a ghost of what the city held. I didn't want to leave Shakespeare and company, the English bookstore, the echo, the long, long echo of Hemingway and Fitzgerald, of knights splashing in the Ritz fountain, or squinty eyed Joyce nibbling through his prose like a mouse hungry for print. I didn't want to leave the gargoyles either. The surprising, watchful stone eyes staring down from cathedrals, from Notre Dame and a hundred other churches. Their white faces, sometimes streaked with mysterious black, as if stone could hold tears and release them over centuries. They say you can never leave Paris, that it must leave you if it chooses to go. I tried to take Paris with me. In Paris, I had read A Movable Feast and A Farewell to Arms and Death in the Afternoon. I had them all on my iPad, a mini Hemingway portable library. And although I was traveling with Constance and Amy, I was also traveling with Hemingway. So I read. It was late. I was in Europe and had been for two and a half weeks. I was on my way to Amsterdam. Constance fell asleep next to me. She was reading The Lives of the Saints and was on her own spiritual journey to read and see everything she could about saints, and to see every statue or representation of saints, which fed her special passion and the subject of her senior thesis, hagiography. And Amy stuck her head over the seat behind me and began chatting up a Polish guy named Victor. Victor smelled like sardines and wore a fatigue jacket. But Amy kept elbowing me a little when he said something she thought was cute. And her voice got that sing-songy flirtatiousness that meant she was roping a guy and tying him up. Victor was good looking and charming with a voice that made him sound vaguely like Dracula, and Amy, I saw, had hopes. That's where everything stood when Jack appeared. Could you hold this? He asked. I didn't look up. I didn't understand he meant me. Miss? He asked. Then he pushed a backpack against my shoulder. I looked up. I saw Jack for the first time. Our eyes met and didn't let go. What? I asked, aware one of us should have looked away by now. He was gorgeous. He was actually more than gorgeous. He was big for one thing, maybe six foot three and well built. He wore an olive fleece and blue jeans, and the way they hung on him made the combination look like the most interesting outfit anyone had ever thought to wear. Someone or something had broken his nose a long time ago, and it had healed in an apostrophe shape. He had good teeth, and a smile that started in dimples just an instant before he knew it was going to start. His hair was black and curly, but not fro just dead poetry. I noticed his hands, too. They were large and heavy, as though he wasn't afraid to work with them. And he reminded me, just a little bit, just a bit, because it sounded silly to say it even to myself, of Hugh Jackman, the freaking Wolverine. This fellow looked insouciant. A stretch of a word, but accurate nonetheless. A man who lived behind a wink that indicated he got the joke. Was in on it. Didn't take it seriously, but expected you to go along with it. What that joke might